Hey friends, welcome to episode 107 of the Fierce Calling Podcast. I'm your host, Doris Swift, and I want to warmly welcome you to the show today. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to listen in. And I know today's show is going to really bless you. We're talking about what we can learn in the midst of tragic circumstances and how God is so faithful in all of it. My guest today is Lisa Apollo, and she reminds us that God's goodness doesn't start and stop. Isn't that encouraging? No matter what is going on in our lives, His goodness does not start and stop. And she also shares how God reshapes what's shattered so life can be good again. 11 years ago, Lisa went to bed happily married to her high school sweetheart and woke up a widow and single mom. And she's going to share that story with us and how God helped her navigate through the grief and now how she's helping others navigate those uncharted waters too, because thankfully God is always there with us and he knows the way. Listen in and also find out more about her book we're going to be talking about, which is Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It All Falls Apart. Friend, this is a really powerful episode, and I would love if you would share it with those you think would really benefit by this message. And I know what Lisa has to share is going to encourage, inspire, and challenge you. So listen in while I have a chat with Lisa Apollo. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. Welcome back to the Fierce Calling Podcast. I am so excited today to welcome my friend, Lisa Apollo. She is a speaker, a writer, and a Bible teacher who inspires women to deepen their faith in loss and find hope in the hard. And I love that she's a Florida girl. We're both here in Florida, so that is really cool. And she has a background in law as well, which is so interesting to me when I found that out. She worked as a litigator for many years, but God had other plans. And when she started having all these littles, uh, she retired from law and became a full-time mama for her kids, and she also is going to share with us the book that just released. Eight years ago, Lisa went through a really difficult season in her life. She went to bed happily married to her high school sweetheart and woke up a widow and a single mom. So I know that this episode is really going to bless and encourage a lot of listeners today. So Lisa, I'm so glad to have you on. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Doris. It's just been something on my heart that I knew that you needed to be on and it just, God worked it all out. And I would love if you would share a little about your story and then how you're taking action where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Sure. I will start. How about if I start in seventh grade? Yes. <laughs> we won't, we won't linger there, but okay. <laughs> it kind of does start there because I met my, uh, this boy who uh, would be my husband in seventh grade in youth group. And we were just friends at that point, but in high school got to be really good friends and started dating and then went to college together you know, he was my first date. He was my only date. Um, and, you know, life wasn't perfect by any means. And it, it certainly took turns. We had struggles. We had 
parenting issues and financial, you know, struggles that we had to deal with, but it was really the life that I wanted. And, um, by the time the, of uh, summer, a few years ago, I was home full-time with my kids. I have seven kids. And, um, so life was busy. It was full. I was just kind of the hub of the wheel in the home, you know, getting my kids to their places and raising them. Um, and on a very, what felt like normal Friday morning, I thought we would wake. I had a full schedule that day. He had a full day of work, but in the dark early morning hours, I heard him. I woke to his funny breathing and I wasn't even fully awake to, to open my eyes, but I reached over kind of in my sleep and said, it's just a nightmare, hun. And I fully expected that he would turn over and we would go back to sleep and wake up to his alarm in a few hours. But, um, as I woke up more to his breathing because he, he didn't turn over. I realized I flipped on the overhead light and I could see immediately something was very wrong with him. And I know now that those were his last breaths. I'm not even sure that the CPR we did was truly CPR, but we didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we called 911. We immediately began administering CPR to him, ran down to get our primary neighbor, just doing all the things we could in this this crisis situation. And it was kind of, I wasn't an out-of-body experience at all, but I was both in the moment trying to do what needed to be done. And also kind of looking at this situation, thinking you are not giving CPR to your husband. You just kiss goodnight. Mm -hmm. This, you know, it's just surreal in these situations and your mind just tries to wrap around the gravity of it. But we had a lot of hope. The The paramedics were there quickly. They took him to the emergency room. I followed. Um, but it was there that, that a ER doctor pulled us into that room you never want to go into and told us that they had worked on Dan for over two hours and they were never able to revive him. So that was it. I mean, in the space of one night's sleep, not only my life, but the lives of my children, our seven children, mm-hmm. just shattered in every way possible. Yeah. Wow. And just to hear you go through the things that took place, the events that happened and your children were home as well, right? They were there too. They were. My four-year-old had crawled into bed in between Mm -hmm. two of us, you know, so she Mm -hmm. was right in the middle of it. I had to get my older daughter to, to whisk her upstairs Mm-hmm. Um, my older son actually happened to be at camp. He was a camp counselor at Ridgecrest. And so he was about to hike the Appalachian trail with, with his little cabin of boys. And I had to tell him over the phone, you know, we had to, we, fortunately there, you know, the, even in the worst of times, we can see God's fingerprints all over it. And of course, my prayer was that, that Dan would, you know, that they would be able to save Dan, that they would be able to resuscitate him. And that prayer wasn't answered, but God's mercy was all over us Mm. in a thousand ways. But one of the ways was his, um, we had a friend that was up there right outside the camp and she drove over to the camp. It was still early. They weren't even in the office. Um, and took, you know, had been come to the front office and was there with him when I told him over the phone that his dad had passed away Mm. and then helped get him to the airport. Um, so yeah, they were there. Part of some of them were old enough to kind of help me um, they were all old enough to understand what, what was going on. Mm. Wow. That was really so special and precious of the Lord to have a friend nearby, to be able to be there with your son 
but that it wasn't someone else's words that he heard this from. It was your words and your voice because that was what needed to take place for his little heart at that time. So, wow, God is so good. And so then that all happened in the course of how many hours, Lisa? Um, you know, I don't know when it started. I never looked at a clock, but mm-hmm. I was home probably by dawn. I think the sun was coming up. It was just light. So, you know, in the space of three hours, maybe by the time I woke up and then came back home, my children were there waiting to see and, um, just telling each one of them, you know, that their dad was in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, were raising them in a Christian home. And so they knew about Jesus. They knew about faith and all of that. So how much of that really played into the strength that your family was able to walk through this time together? You know, we, as moms, as parents, we want our children to have a living and active faith. And sometimes the way God brings that is through circumstances we would never choose. And that can be everything from a diagnosis for somebody in the family. It could be a job issue in the family for us. It was the death of my husband and that could either rip our family apart or we could see God in ways we never would see him on the sunny days. And I remember sitting with my kids and telling them that, that, you know, that, um, that they, that, that as painful as this was, and we were, it was, I think the first time we all sat around after Dan's memorial service, kind of the, everybody had gone back to their lives and their homes. And, and it was just us and sitting around on couches and pillows in the living room. And I remember saying to them, you have the chance to see God in ways that you never would otherwise. And that's always been my prayer that, that through this, that they would, um, have a deeper compassion for others who are hurting, but also know how God met us in ways that were just incredible. Some of them were huge ways. One time we were sitting, this was just a few weeks after Dan died. We were all, we were eating leftovers in front of the TV for dinner and a car pulled up outside. We didn't recognize it. And a couple came to the front door and they said, you don't know us. Somebody has sent us and they've given you this car. It was a new to us car that fit our whole family. It was the nicest car I've ever had. And my kids were just, I could just see just their uh, jaws dropping open, the little ones running out, the big ones asking, you know, who these, who they knew and who had sent them. And there were everything from big ways that God took care of us because we were a single income family. And now that Mm -hmm. income was gone. Um, to very, very personal little ways that God took care of us. And again, you know, just a thousand different answers to prayer, all coming through people um, who are the hands and feet of Jesus. What a gift to your children to be able to sit with them and lay this out as God is still good and this is how we can grow closer to him. And, you know, although it was such a tragic circumstance, but yet you were able to shine the light on it through God's eyes, like through the way we see the world, through a biblical worldview, and then all of these blessings coming forth from those who you probably have no idea who they are even to this day, right? Who would have sent you cards and 
blessings of food and different things like that. And I have to say, wow, God bless you, mama, for seven kids. That is amazing. What What is the age range again of your kids? So at the time, my youngest was four and my oldest was 19. And I have to say, this was not something like uh, that I set out to be this, you know, any kind of uh, make this a, any kind of huge teachable moment. We were all trying to get through this. And I was yeah. desperate for God, not only to help me, but to, to meet my children in this. And it was a, it was something I couldn't fix. You know, as moms, yeah. we want to fix or even prevent the, our yeah. children going through pain. And there are just, sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we can't fix it. Yeah. But in those times, I think as parents, just to live authentically in it, we cried together. We asked questions together. We read books together. We prayed together. Um, there were times I did not show up well because I was exhausted or just overwhelmed. And I would have to, you know, tell them I was sorry. I was new to this whole single parenting mm-hmm. thing. Um, there were times I parented out of fear. But on the whole, you know, I hope that my kids will look back and see that they had a mom who, now this makes me weep, but just that they had a mom who really did go to the feet of Jesus. And there was nothing special about their mom, but she, you know, she had a faith in a big God who was bigger than this big hurt. Yeah. And I love how you said, and I think this is going to really, really talk to the heart of some listeners right now that you lived authentically in it, that you all lived authentically in it. Um, And like you said, as moms, as women, we want to fix things. We want to fix things and make things better for those who we love, you know, those in our family and our kids and everything. And so when it's something obvious that we can't fix, but we know who is the one that is near to the brokenhearted and binds up our wounds. So that's what your light was shining. Even in the times when you weren't able to do what maybe was on your plate that day. And so what were some encouraging things in the days following? Cause I know, like you were saying after the service, then you all sat down when everyone else kind of goes along their way, you know, and lives their life. Cause I'm sure up to that point, it was just like lots of adrenaline flowing and lots of planning and lots of trying to get everything situated. And then, you know, people coming out in and from out of town or whatever. And then when it gets quiet, what were some of the things that really minister to your heart in those days following? For me, um, I just had to get away every day with the Lord. I had to have time um, where I could, and and when I say get away, some people do that in their home. I had seven kids, so I would get in my minivan and drive around the corner to this little park where it was quiet, and I could cry to the Lord. I could ask my questions. Sometimes I did it through my journal. Sometimes I just did it audibly. Um, I could speak my fears, really just time to, not that my kids didn't see me cry, but this was really my time to just... It's just me and the Lord. And um, so I would get alone with him. I would kind of give him all of my fears and questions and emotions. I lay those down and then pick up the word. And I didn't go hunt for scripture, but I was reading through the Bible for a year. 
And I actually didn't even start until Dan passed away. Our church had been doing it and I was doing something else, but I picked up his journal and I picked up that reading plan and whatever was the assigned reading for the day, I would pick it up and it did not matter to us. It was so eye-opening because it didn't matter if I was in Leviticus or Matthew or Psalms, God always met me on the pages of scripture and he would remind me of his character and of his faithfulness and he, or he would give me a specific promise I could claim for my family, but it was enough hope for that day and was enough hope that I could go back into my home and show up for that day's tasks and the parent. It was not enough for the week. I had to go back in the next day and do it again. And it became a pattern for me. I, it's not like I hadn't done Bible study before, but this was a, just a season where really I, I needed God's word more than I needed food. Mm. And I always, it, I began to call it the great exchange because I would give him my fear and despair and discouragement and anguish and, and all of that, and then pick up the word and get his hope his promises and just reminders of how he faithfully walks us through. Yeah. Well, I love that you were explaining how you would get away and go off in your quiet time. Cause that was your personal time with the Lord. And this way you could just be real and say whatever you needed to say and, you know, just have that quiet time. So was it from some of those times that God started bringing forth those things that you would then be able to share with other people when you started writing your book? I think it, yes. I think a lot of it was that time when, when we go through uh, something that any kind of difficulty mm-hmm. and that could be, you know, we've, we just mentioned some, it could be a, a spouse walking out on you. It could be a chronic diagnosis for you or somebody in your family. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be, you know, a child loss or miscarriage or so many ways that your life can shatter. You know, for me, got those Uh, I began like this constant dialogue with God and the lessons just came clear and they came fast. We're just in such a teachable position at that time. We're so needy for God to speak into us. Mm -hmm. And so for me, there were a lot of things. Sometimes it was scriptures that I had memorized with my kids early on and he would bring it back to me in a new application. Um, There's a sweet time. One day he brought the same Bible story to me and gave me an application to it. And when I got home to tell my kids, he had given my, my oldest son the same story with a different application. And he shared with me and I was just, I couldn't believe just the personal ways God meets us in, in loss and in, in difficulty. And then I think, you know, it wasn't just in those first weeks. Um, it was over the course of, uh, for me, you know, a couple years where God continued to teach me because it takes, I was so naive about grief. It takes a long time to let go of the life that you had and the life that you thought you would always have and that you liked, you wanted it and to um, live well in the life that God has, even when it's different, even when somebody's not there that you wish was there. Yeah. And how you were explaining that just now, because it's grief of the loss of the person you love, but also grief of the dreams that you thought you were going to have or the life you thought you were going to have, right? So um, I love this one quote that 
you have so many amazing quotes in your book, and I've been sharing them on social media because they are so good. But this one really struck me where it said, tucked inside unexpected hard is unexpected good. So what would you say to that quote? What what brings um, to mind when you wrote that? Yes, that is true. You know, I... I was desperate to see God's goodness. Life felt very bad. And again, I did not start this because I was like, oh, I have this really good practice. I'm going to start. I was just a desperate, I was desperate to see God's goodness. And so I um, began writing a thankfulness every morning. So every, every morning before I did my Bible time, I would like number one through seven and then eight through 14. And then I just would keep going. Um, And I would think back over the day before and try to remember where God's handed in the little things that, you know, I'd seen that were good and the big things that I'd seen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was everything from like the rain last night as we were going to sleep to that friend who took me out for coffee. It was just so many things. Um, but as I began to keep a gratitude list, it really opened my eyes. It was to all the goodness God was doing. I began to connect the dots you know, between my prayers and God's answer to my prayers. And the more I saw his goodness, the the more, the more I I thanked him for his goodness, the more I saw of his goodness. And so part of, you know, what we see is that God's goodness, it doesn't start and stop. So even in the very worst circumstances, God's goodness is still all in there and all around that. And it's hard. It's a bomb, first of all, that's really comforting when we're in a hard place to see that goodness, but it's also comforting to know that all the good didn't stop behind us, that God's goodness continues in this hard place as we walk this value and it will continue in the season we didn't expect. Mm, I love that so much how you just said God's goodness does not stop and start because when there is good things happening in our lives and we're feeling like, oh, this prayer's answered, this prayer's answered. You know, it feels very much so. Oh, yes, of course God is good. And then it's not really natural for us to think of that something bad could also be happening simultaneously at the time that God is still good and how you wrap your head around it. But as you were saying, you were with him every day and spending time with him and learning more and more about his character and who he is and, and how he is always good. And so what are some ways that people have been respondent to the messages that you've been sharing? Because you've had a ministry for quite some time before this book came out. So what are some ways that you have felt um, people really have responded to to the ministry that you've had so far? You know, I really, I remember early on wanting to know somebody. I So I knew that God was going to be faithful, mm-hmm. theoretically, but I wanted to see it in flesh and blood. I wanted to, to know somebody who was just a few steps ahead of me, who I could say that person has walked this hard place and look, she's okay. She's smiling again. Her kids are okay. And so I think part of what I see my ministry as is just meeting these women. And it's not just women who are new widows, you know, the Bible teacher and in my Sunday school class, 
you know, I really saw that we walk through all kinds of hard places, really hard places. Mm-hmm. So just being there with those women and um, listening to them, first of all, and then just walking with them and navigating them through and helping them see that God will be faithful to them. And we don't know how it's always, sometimes even I, when I walk with another person in a very difficult spot, I will almost still hold my breath and think, okay, Lord, how are you going to get her through this? Because mm-hmm. I don't see it. And then when he does, it is just such a faith boost for the person walking through, for me, for anybody who was around and who is witnessing that story. That's so precious. And how you walk beside someone that's going through a difficult season and being able to help and support them through prayer. And just like you said, listening, that's like, you know, an important ministry that we can all have a ministry of listening to someone's heart to hear what is happening with them. Because oftentimes people just really need to know that they're heard, right? There's a lot of comfort just in having somebody listen to us. Yeah. And saying, um, you know, you're not alone in this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we can speak, I speak and I write, but sometimes my favorite ministry is just coffee with another woman and listening to her heart and praying for her. That is something that we can all do. And that is very encouraging because someone listening right now, maybe a woman might be listening right now and thinking, well, I don't feel like I'm called to be a speaker or a writer or I'm not going to write a book, but you can have coffee with a friend or tea or whatever, you know, and just have that ministry of togetherness and community. Because I know you were talking a lot about that when we were talking before the show even. Um, So I would love if you would speak a little bit into that about the importance of community and what you found in that precious thing God's given us. Yeah, community is huge. And I really, I was really learning as people were helping us kind of taking notes and thinking, I want to do this for somebody one day. I want to be this kind of friend because I'm not sure I knew a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so community can feel awkward when somebody is going through any kind of difficulty. It can be both awkward to receive help or ask for help. And it can be awkward to be the one giving help. Maybe if you're a super good friend, you don't feel that. But uh, I think a lot of times when we are wanting to help somebody in a situation, we think the problem is too big and I can't, I can't help it. I don't know what to do. And so we let the size of the problem, the enormity of their pain kind of keep us from stepping into it with them. But, you know, there's a couple things. One is that we don't have to fix the whole problem. Just like you said, we, we're not called to fix the problems. That is God's sovereign job, but we can walk with them in it and just tell them that they're not alone. Um, and the second thing is, is that we, we don't have to um, be able to do all the things for all the people. We can do the one thing that God has called us to for the one person. And what I saw was that, you know, being on the receiving end of that, all these things that people were doing for us, whether it was taking a child out for a play date or taking them to ball practice or showing up years later at my boys' basketball games or, um, you know, inviting our family over for stuff, bringing a meal, all these things were just the hands and feet of Christ. And it was the, the totality of all of it that was really 
such a love note from the Lord. And then something else I learned, and this was from my friend. Um, in fact, she's in the book and it's one of my favorite parts. She said that when she sees, has somebody in need, that she will pray and ask God to show her how to help. That's the first step. Pray and ask God to show how to help. And then the second thing is expect God to show you how to help. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes we do the first, but we don't do the second. And she just always trusts that whatever nudge she feels, you know, it's not written on in the sky somewhere, but whatever nudge she feels that because she's prayed about it and expects to see it, that that's what God wants her to do. I'll just share this quick story. She was, this was several years after Dan died and she, um, her child was playing on a basketball team um, and for the school opposite my, my boys team. So we happened to see each other. We were opponents of that game. Mm -hmm. And um, two of my boys were on this team and they were the only ones without team shoes. And honestly, I don't even think I realized that. And, but she noticed it and my boys were not big ones to ask me to buy things. So I think maybe they just felt like they didn't need them. They had basketball shoes and this was an expense that they weren't going to ask me to buy. Well, she noticed and she went to the coach without asking us, went to the coach, asked for the boy's shoe size, ordered the shoes and had them delivered. And so my boys have these team shoes. Wow. Those kind of things, you know, just all those. And, and the fact that it was so long after Dan died, you know, several years after the fact that she saw a need and the fact that she followed up on it. They are just personal love notes through the hands and feet that become the hands and feet of, of Christ to us. Mm. What an impact that made for your boys and also for you and for everyone that you're now sharing this story with, because I love the steps that you gave because it, it is so cool when we have practical, applicable steps that we can take but how you emphasize that step two is so important, that when we ask God to show us, you know, how can we minister? How can we help? Where are you at work today? How can we partner with you? How can I help? Um, that he will provide the answer. And it takes the burden off of us, really, because when we feel like we have to help everybody, we are called to help who he asks us to help. And so that, that is really important to remember. I, I usually will tell a story about when I first came to know Jesus and I would go in the grocery store, I would be like, does that person know Jesus? Does that person know Jesus? You know, I would feel like it, it was my job to let everybody know. And then, you know, I kind of joke and say, God was just saying, all right, just go buy your peanut butter. Okay. <laughs> Let's just, you know, I'll let you know when you need to do or what you need to say. But like you were saying, the step one is actually being a willing worker to be a, you know, to partner with him in the kingdom work that he's calling and, and how precious it is that we are able to do that. It's so very humbling. It is. Yeah. And it's what knits us together. You know, as the body of Christ, it is awkward and it's okay. It's okay to feel awkward when you're receiving help and it's okay to feel a little awkward when you're giving it, mm -hmm. but don't let that keep you from loving others and let God knit you together as the body of Christ. Nice. So there we go. Permission to feel awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and th that was really good that you brought that out because it's normal 
to feel that way. You know, I work in in our church and I often will take requests for people who need help and sometimes they're embarrassed about it or whatever, but I always like to say, you know, I'm sure that there's been times when someone needed something and you helped them. And so now let God help you with this. And it it just kind of makes them feel more comfortable about it because then they say, well, yeah, I actually have. And it, it brings it to their minds, you know, what God has been able to do in their life, you know, and whether or not they know him yet, but yet it just brings that joy of, okay, receiving a blessing can be a joy just as giving one is. So I'm so glad you brought that up. And I love how you were talking about community and the importance of it, because, you know, oftentimes we tend to draw away from people or help or community when things are hard. And um, it's just, you know, to let people bless us, I think is, is really important. And um, so I love that so much. And so tell us then you started writing the book. How long did it take from the time? Because I know you said it was a few years. So when did you actually start writing this book? Uh, Some of it was stuff that I had uh, taught in my Bible class or written, you know, a blog piece on or spoken about. And it took a different shape as it went into the book. But some of the material was there. Mm -hmm. But officially, um, I got an agent. Well, I got a contract for the book during the pandemic. There we go. (laughs) I think it was October, 2020. And, um, so I wrote it, uh, for about six months. I had to turn it in about six months later and then it goes through all these edits. So it takes a long time for the whole book process, but it's really better for it because instead of it just being, you know, my first draft or my second draft, mm-hmm. um, it went through, you know, several edits, not just to fix words, but, you know, I had an editor who would say, you know, uh, I need an illustration for this. You, you talk about this, but let's apply it. Or mm-hmm. she would kind of take the reader's point of view and say, is your reader going to understand this? What if they have this perspective or this experience? So it was really helpful to take the message I felt God had given me, but then also make it very applicable. Mm. And there you go again with community. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and he's given us all different gifts and talents. And uh, so we can use it all together. And thankfully, other people have different t- gifts and talents that they can use to speak truth and in life into our life and into the projects that God calls us to do or whatever work that he calls us to do. So we can work together. And here, here we go. Now we have this this book that's like giving birth, right? Yeah. So I've heard that analogy, giving birth. Mm. I, it, it, um, I was thinking about something else this morning and now I, it, I can't remember. I was thinking that it's, but it's really my heart. I feel like I'm just mm. kind of taking my heart and just holding it out to people because mm. it's what God did in me. It's not just a heart that was broken and shattered and mm. despaired that I would never smile again. I despaired that my children would ever, you know, um, have good childhoods, Mm -hmm. that this would forever mark their childhood as painful. But um, God, what I found was that in, in deep loss of any kind, that God reshapes what shattered. And he reshapes not just our circumstances, but he reshapes our heart in ways that he 
he can't really do sometimes because we don't yield to him. We don't need him as much on those sunny, easy days. But man, when we're broken open and we just trust him with all the pieces of, of our brokenness, he does take it and he reshapes us. And those are things we would never give back. We would, in a minute, we wish that Dan was back, but we would never give back the lessons that God has taught us and what he's done in us. That is so beautiful. And the name of the book is Life Can Be Good Again. Is that something that came over time or how did that title come about? I actually think I pitched a title that was something like, uh, we played around with different ones. I think one was like unexpected. And then um, I think one of my titles was something about, you know, you'll find your smile. Um, but this one, we actually polled my readers and we had 500 people respond and they said, we asked them some different, you know, would you like this subtitle or this, this title? And this was the one that really resonated the, the life can be good again, uh, putting your world back together after all falls apart. And it's really a promise that not that I can put your world back together or not that, you know, um, this book can even be but that God can do it. And so just these are the things that God showed me. These are very practical steps we can take in a world that feels out of control and chaotic. And these, you know, this is what we can do with our, our emotions because God does give us a way to process all those hard emotions and hard questions. And we can move forward and find that life will be good again. Mm. Well, that is just the perfect title of that book and God had the final say in what that book was going to be and your your readers your audience shared that too and I I think it just speaks so much to the heart of anyone who's gone through a really hard season and thinks you know that's it all hope is gone my life will never be good again. That's like the opposite book that, you know, some people write themselves, you know, or write it on their own heart. Like life is never going to be good again. And that's something the enemy would want us to believe because then, you know, we're not going to be effective for kingdom work if we are never going to believe and trust in the faithful God who is always good. Like you said, Lisa. So I just, I love that so much. And that the smile chapter is the last chapter of the book, right? It is. Yeah. I love that chapter. Save the best for last. No, yeah. it's all best. It's all the best. <laughs> Believe me, it's all it's all great. But I love that chapter so much because, you know, that is something people feel like they lose. Or maybe they don't have permission to smile. Because how can I smile when this happened, you know, but it's the joy of the Lord too. And so I love it. And so could you please share how can the listener connect with you? Because you have a um, ministry to young widows, right? I do. So a couple ways. Mm-hmm. You, uh, my website is lisaapolo.com, two P's, one L. And um, then we have a Facebook group uh, called Widow Mama Collective. It's closed. It's open to anybody. So you just would need to um, click, you know, to, to join. We just keep it closed to keep it safe so that it's just the widows in there and they feel safe, you know, being able to ask questions and share their hearts without, you know, others coming in that, Mm. that are, you know, somebody else. So we just keep it closed for that reason, but it's certainly open to anybody. Mm. Yeah. Great. And I will have the links in the show notes for your site and 
they can find how to grab your book right on your site, right? Because it's wherever books are sold. So yes, you can get it. Hopefully at your local bookstore, we'll have it. And um, maybe your library, if you either want to request it, your library carry it, but then it's available at all the online places. Yeah. I mean, such a wonderful book and resource for groups like Grief Share and, you know, ministries at churches that can use this as a resource and a tool to minister to people and so much scripture in the book and just God's truth. And it's just amazing. So I am so thankful that you were able to come on the show and share your heart. And I know that this really has blessed, um, you know, whoever's listening today And um, I hope that they will share it with others so that they can be blessed as well and find out how to grab your amazing book, Lisa. So, and I hope to have you on again. Thank you so much for having me, Doris. This has been a long time coming, hasn't it? We've been talking about this for going back and forth, but I'm very grateful for your invitation to let me come share. Appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. It was such a joy to have you on and I will talk to you soon, friend. Okay. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. And wasn't that an amazing episode with Lisa? What a powerful message and what a fierce calling God has called her to, to help minister to the hearts of those who are hurting. And I love how she said, God's goodness doesn't stop and start. So true. And also this other quote she had in the show where she said, we're not called to fix the problems. That is God's sovereign job, but we can walk with them in it and just tell them, that they're not alone. So true, friend. And if there is someone in your life that would benefit and be encouraged by this message, please share this episode with them. And I'll have the links in the show notes where you can connect with Lisa and find her website and pick up her amazing book. And it's just been a pleasure hanging out with you today. And please remember that Fierce Calling is part of the Spark Network and it can be found on the Edify app. You can download that for free at the Apple or Google Play stores, E-D-I-F-I, and listen to Fierce Calling. And there are so many amazing Christian podcasts on that app. So check it out today, friend. And if you are looking for a speaker for your next women's event, I am booking up my calendar. So please check out my speaker page at doraswift.com or at womenspeakers.com and reach out to me and let's have a chat about that. And I hope you'll join me next time when I talk with another woman who's taking action where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, friend, have a blessed week, and I'll talk to you soon.